Okay, how many brought your Bibles? Raise your hand. You got it on iPad, you got a phone, you got your, your Bible. Okay, here we go. Paul's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians at Thessalonica. We'd say it this way. Paul's talking to us at Murfreesboro. This is what he says. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so. He says, I thank God for you because, why? Your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. So notice what he says. He says, I'm pretty excited about you guys. He says, I love you, and I'm so thankful for you. He says, because I see two things happening in you. He says, I see you, your faith is growing, and your love is increasing. So on Sunday mornings, as we've launched this 2020, this brand new year, we've come up with a biblical resolution as a church, and our biblical resolution is simply this. Our goal in 2020 is to grow. Our goal is to grow. And over these next several weeks, we're going to talk about growing in our marriage. We're going to talk about growing financially. We're going to talk about growing as a citizen of the United States of America. We're going to talk about growing as a, as a parent. We're going to talk about the things that have to do with our life every single day. But the first thing that I wanted to start out with, as Christians, in 2020, our goal should be to grow in faith. Do you know, and you know this, I'm not telling you something you don't know, if our children are not physically growing, we will take them to a medical professional and find out the cause and do everything within their power to fix their situation. Why? Because physical, non-physical growth is not natural. It's not natural. We expect our children to grow academically. If our children are stuck in a course of study and having difficulty assimilating the information, we will get them a tutor or special teacher because not growing academically, we all know this as parents, if our children don't grow academically, it could affect their future. Families that emphasize athletics, music, dance, or the arts understand that their children need specialized instruction. They get them a hitting coach, a dance coach, a a guitar coach, a drum coach. We all understand to get our children to excel in their passion in life, they're going to need to grow. And to grow, they have to have instruction. Let's, let's get it down here to where we really live, financially. Let's just talk about finances for a second. Financially, the cost of goods and services are increasing annually. If our incomes do not grow... The things we were able to purchase five years ago, we'll not be able to purchase them this year with the same amount of money. So our incomes must grow. The same holds true emotionally. We often encounter individuals who for some reason, due to an injury or trauma, due to genetic disposition or maybe substance abuse, they've stopped growing emotionally. They are stuck in their childhood or they're stuck in their adolescent years and they're struggling navigating life. It's imperative for us to grow emotionally so that our life filters can be accurate. Growth is a normal, natural, and expected part of life. It's just natural. It's what we do. Likewise, as Christians, we should desire and expect to grow in our faith. Christians have placed a premium on the salvation experience, but our life in Christ doesn't stop 
at salvation. You hear a lot about it today. Thank God for it. Thank God for salvation. Thank God for being born again. That, but that's the starting point. That's not the catch-all. Our life in Christ starts at salvation, but there's so much more to living victorious in Christ Jesus than just having the born-again experience. Did you know that in all of our areas that I mentioned, academics, physical, uh, financial, athletics, whatever it might be, none of that growth happens by accident. Growth doesn't happen accidentally. For our children to grow academically, we got to get them to school. They got to do their homework. That's an intentional action on our part. Physically, for them to grow physically, they've got to have proper nutrition. We've got to feed them well. That's an intentional act on our part. Emotionally, we make sure they have proper boundaries and influences around their life. That's an intentional action on our part. Financially, you're not going to grow financially unless you do some intentional things concerning stewardship. It's an intentional action on our part. For growth to occur in any area of our life, intentional actions are required on our part. Yet for our spiritual lives and our children's spiritual life, we act as if growth will occur by accident. But it doesn't. In fact, it's a dangerous thing to leave your life of faith to chance. People say all the time, well, it don't make any difference where you go to church as long as you go to church. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know what we're saying? Here's what we're really saying. You know, I know I need to get my kid in the right school. I know I want to get them in the right school. I want to get them in the right classes. I want to get them with the right teacher. Or I know my child has an athletic gift, so I want to get the right coach to make sure they give them instruction. Or I know they have a musical gift, so I want to make sure they get the right coach, and I'm going to seek out the best musical teacher, the music teacher who can teach whatever your child's passion is in life, or whether it be dance or cheer or gymnastics or whatever it might be. I want to seek that person out who can train them the best, you do research, you seek them out, you talk to that coach, you talk to that school teacher, you talk to that principal, but when it comes to church, when it comes to your spiritual life, just whatever, and that's the way many of us treat our spiritual life. It's just by chance. It's by chance. Excelling, listen, our life of faith is the one area of our life that has repercussions for eternity. Excelling in athletics, academics, the arts, and financially, they're wonderful pursuits. They're wonderful. My children, no tell how much money we spend on our son in sports, on catching lessons and hitting lessons, and got him into college playing baseball. And our daughter, my goodness. Listen, don't ever buy a horse. Don't ever buy a horse. Those things never die. You got to me, tell me eternal life doesn't exist. You go buy a horse. Them things live forever. Well, you know a lot about horses, don't you? I know they eat on one end and eliminate out the other end. That's all I know. And it costs about $1,000 a month as it's transferring through their system. The eating from the elimination. But the money we spend on riding lessons, the money we spend on boarding, 
And we did all of that because it was wonderful. It blessed her. It encouraged her. It made, helped her make the discipline she learned. Helped her make, become the woman she is today. But all of those things, the athletics, the extracurricular activities, the music, even the academics, they're wonderful. They're great. They have benefits. But they are for a limited period of time. Our spiritual deposits that we place in our life and the disciplines we learn spiritually and our life of faith lasts for a lifetime and beyond. And the Apostle Peter instructs us in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will what? What's that next word? Everybody say grow. Grow into a full experience of salvation. And then Paul said it. He says, I thank God for you, brothers and sisters. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 3. He says, I thank God for you because your faith is growing more and more. Back in the, uh, back in the 80s, Amanda and I uh, went through a very difficult season in our life. Depression came upon me. Um, it, it, it run in my family. And it got on me, and uh, to the point it didn't, it just, it, it shut me down. And uh, it was in the middle of that hell that someone handed me a book by Kenneth E. Hagan entitled, What to Do When Faith Seems Weak and Victory Lost. And that book started opening my eyes to the topic of faith. Now, I grew up in church. I, my granddaddy was the preacher. But I didn't really have a practical, working faith. And I started reading some books on faith, and things started opening up to me in understanding. And I was like a Baptist. Amanda and I became like a Baptist who just got filled with the Holy Ghost. When you get a Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit, they've been taught all their life it wasn't for today, and then all of a sudden they realize it's for today. And they get filled with the Holy Ghost, start speaking in tongues. You need to put them in a padded cell for about six months. Because they run everybody in their family crazy, all right? Well, when I, Amanda and I learned the message of faith, we went overboard. We just went overboard. And it took us about a decade... 10 years to come back in line and to get a real firm foundation of what faith is. And what's happened, we heard a lot about faith and the word of faith and the message of faith in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. But since 2000, it's kind of gone away. And now what we have, we have a lot of people that love Jesus, but they still are living way below what God designs for them. And they, we just don't have a good, solid foundation about faith. So I wanted to take, if we're going to grow in faith, you and I got to know what faith is. Did you know, I, I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, faith is measurable. You can measure your faith. And every one of us need to be able to know where we are in our faith. There are times where Jesus said that there were people with no faith or little faith. 
Mark chapter 4, verse 35. He says there was people with no faith. And then he said there were people with little faith. Matthew 14. I talked about this two weeks ago. Then he said there were people with great faith. Then he said there was people with weak faith or strong faith. Then he said there were people with dead or useless faith. So notice, all of these things, the Lord says your faith is measurable. You can have little faith, you can have no faith, you can have great faith, you can have strong faith, you can have weak faith, or you can have useless faith. So where are you? Where am I in my faith wall? Paul said these people in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, they're growing in their faith. They're growing. So they knew where they were, and they started growing in their faith. And then, then it's important for us to all understand that faith is measurable. But then it's also important to understand why you need it. Why is faith so important? Why is faith so important? We hear about faith. We talk about faith. We sing about faith. Christianity is often called the faith. But why is it so important? Why is faith so important? Well, without faith, you can't please God. You can't please God without faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. So you can't please God without faith. What's the second reason we, we need to possess faith? We're to walk by faith and not by sight. You're to walk by it. You know, truth is, most of us do the opposite. We walk by sight. What do you mean we walk by sight? We walk by our senses. We walk by what we see. We walk by what we feel. We walk by what we hear. The Bible says we're to walk by faith. So if you can't please God without it, and you're supposed to walk by it, and then the Bible says not only you're supposed to walk by it, you're supposed to live in it. It's a lifestyle. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by what? The just shall live by what? So, now listen, listen, he says, you can't please God without it. You're to walk by it. You're to live by it. It's, it should be a lifestyle. It's not just something we do, it's something we live. And then, then the Bible says, uh, we're instructed to fight the fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. And then here's the catch-all. Why should I have faith? Why should I know about faith? Why should I possess faith? It's the only way to live a victorious life. It's by faith. Listen to this one. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our what? Faith. The New Living Translation says, For every child of God defeats the evil world. And we achieve this victory through our what? Faith. Notice, we don't overcome the world by our money. We don't overcome the world by our smarts or our intellect. We overcome this evil world through our faith. And, and listen to what he says. He says, he brings it home. He says, for we overcome, we achieve this victory through, notice what he says, our faith. Look, put that back up there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 
Notice what he's for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through what does it say? Our faith. Or we'd say, my faith. I overcome the world through my faith. I can't tell you the number of people that as I've sat at the waiting room at the hospital with a family whose loved one was having surgery, or they had just had a terrible tragedy, or an accident, or some type of trauma. And I would say to the family members, because all of a sudden people get sober when that happens. People get very sensitive. Temporal things seem to flee away at the moment of tragedy. And you can really talk to people about their eternal life. And I'll say to family members, well, how's your relationship with the Lord? And I can't tell you the number of times I've heard this response or something similar. Well, it's okay, I'm Baptist. Or it's okay, I'm Pentecostal. Or it's okay, I'm Church of Christ. Listen, the victory that overcomes the world is not your grandparents' faith. It's not your organization's faith. It's not the Baptist or the Pentecostals or the Presbyterians' faith. It's your faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, my faith. This is the victory that helps me to navigate the dark moments of my life. It's my faith. It's my faith. So listen to me. Listen. We can't please God without it. Faith. We are to walk by it. Faith. We are to live in it, faith. We are to fight with it, faith. And we overcome a broken world by it, faith. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I was preaching out of state here, not rec- here recently, and I got to going, and some guy hollered out, You're helping! You're helping! And then I kept, went a little further, and he says, Help yourself! Help yourself. So I got a question. Am I helping anybody? Because I ain't heard nobody say, You're helping! Am I helping anybody? Uh, hush, Wayne. I, you need a lot of help. Always one in every crowd. So, we can't please God without it. We're to walk by it. We're to live in it. We're to fight with it, and we overcome a broken world by it. What? Faith. Well, that's just wonderful. But what is it? What is it? We sing about it. We read about it. Most of us have said something similar to this. You know, I just need more of it. But what is it that you need more of? What are we singing about? What are we reading about? What is faith? Well, according to Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, faith is a persuasion. Faith is a firm persuasion. Faith is a conviction based upon what you've heard. Faith is simply what you believe. Let's get it down here. It's got to work. See, if it doesn't work, our children are going to leave the church. 
the next generation, if this stuff doesn't start working for them, they're not going to have anything to do with it. I want something that's going to work in my life. What is it? What is faith? What is it? If somebody was to ask you, well, what is faith? You talk about it. You say we need to have it. What is it? Well, it's a persuasion. It's a firm persuasion. It's a conviction based upon something you've heard. It's simply what you believe. That's what faith is. It's what you believe. It's what you believe. So when the Bible says we fight the fight of faith, we are fighting to maintain our beliefs instead of starting to think and believe like we see and feel. When it says we walk by faith, we walk by what we believe instead of walk by what we feel. That's what faith is. I'm just persuaded. It's, it's my beliefs. Now, let me prove it to you that I'm telling you the truth because I want you to have a Bible understanding. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Let me prove to you that the word faith and believe are interchangeable. Jesus used them interchangeably. After Jesus left the girl's home, Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, two blind men followed along behind him shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you what? Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your what? Faith. It will happen. Jesus said, do you believe it? They said, yep. He said, then your faith's making it happen. See, faith is simply what you believe. Here's another one. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by what? But if anyone draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who what? Believe. believe to the saving of the soul. So what is faith? It's just what you believe. It's what you believe. Now hear this. This is, this is so important. It's tough. It's a tough battle to walk by faith. It's not a formula. I know over the years it's been, well, just say this, confess this, speak that, declare that, everything will be hunky-dory. That's the biggest lie that ever went out. I've confessed things till I was blue in the face, and that thing's never turned hunky-dory. It's a tough battle to walk by faith. There are circumstances, spiritual forces, and unbelieving people all around us who bombard us with doubt, fear, and unbelief. And listen, when we walk by faith, we are normally the only person moving in the direction we're going. Let me repeat, when you walk by faith, you're normally the only person going in that direction. Everybody else is going in the opposite direction. When you're at work and the rumors start flying around, they're going to shut down, we're all going to lose, lose our jobs, and everybody starts complaining and bad-mouthing and griping and fussing and getting mad, and for you to all of a sudden say, no, God's going to take care of me, and you be joyful and cheerful, and the Lord's going to provide all of my needs according to His riches and glory. I'm not going to worry about it. You're the only one going in that direction. See, when you walk by faith, it's tough. Because you're usually the only person moving in the direction you are going. 
but you can't please him without it, and you've got to walk by it, and you live by it, and you fight the good fight of it. It's the victory that overcomes the world. You can have little of it, none of it, great, strong, weak. Faith is what you believe. It's simply what you believe. Well then, pastor, if it's that important, if it's that important, I can't please God without it, and I'm supposed to live by it, and I'm supposed to walk in it, and I'm supposed to fight with it, and it's, it's the ingredient that helps me overcome. If it's that important, then how do I get it? How do I get it? I mean, when they announced here a year and a half ago that Andy's was coming, First thing I ask is, how do I get some? If you find something that's that important in life, how do you get it? If it's that important that the God of the universe is moved by it, that when all hell breaks loose against your life, there's an ingredient you can have to help you walk above it. What is it and how do I get it? It's simply what you believe. Well, how do you get it? Look at Romans 10, 17. I'm so glad they wrote this. I'm so glad Paul wrote this. So faith comes. How does it come? From hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. One translation, the King James says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Oh, man, if that's all it is to it, Listen, every one of us who was raised in church ought to be faith monsters. Because I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Youth service. I went to church revival in the spring, revival in the fall, revival in the summer. I went to the ladies' prayer meeting, even though I wasn't a lady. I went to every men's breakfast. I had, my granddad was the pastor. My mom was the organist. My dad, my dad was a deacon. My uncle was the song leader. I mean, my, my granny was the women's ministry director. Our life was around the church. I've heard every sermon from every Bible. Every Bible. Every kind of Bible. I've heard a sermon from every chapter in the Bible. I've, I've, I've read the Bible multiple times. I've heard every sermon by podcast, cassette tape. Anybody remember cassette tape? I had the Bible on cassette tape. I would listen to it over and over. I'd go to bed at night listening to the Bible. I even got one of those cassette tape series where it said when he was on the ocean, the, the Sea of Galilee, you could hear the waves. I could hear the waves or the lightning. I mean, I'm, I, you, I, I've, I've heard everything in here. But I'm still walking in defeat. I'm still living depressed. I was still living discouraged. I still went up. Long season of my life wouldn't even get out of my house. And yet I'd heard every sermon. So something went haywire. Because he said faith comes by hearing. And if, if it just came by hearing, most of us ought to be faith giants. But you know as well as I do, sitting here this morning, many of you are not a faith giant. Many of you are struggling in areas of your life. But if it comes by hearing, I've heard enough. Well, Granny, and no better person, we have heard this multiple times. Wasn't no better person than my Granny. She never missed church. She didn't get what she was praying for. See? Something, we, we, 
Something was off. So how does it come? Faith comes by hearing. But listen. And accepting what you've heard as true. See, fear and faith come the same way. Both come by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and accepting what you have heard is true. Fear comes by hearing and accepting what you've heard is true. Faith comes by hearing good news. Fear comes by hearing bad news. Both come the same way. Faith comes by hearing, but not just hearing with your ears. It's accepting what you've heard as true. When you hear it, you say, God, that's it, that's it. I'm going to make a change right now. I'm going to put that to practice. That's the truth. What I just heard is the truth, and I'm going to start acting on that. Let me give you a Bible scripture to prove what I'm talking about. Turn with me to John, the, the Gospel of John. I've got to hurry up. I'm getting hungry. John, they, they, they've got my ch- chicken fried rice ready down here at Yum Yum. John chapter 20. Who flung dung's the waiter down there? John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 24. Notice what it says. Y'all get that here in a minute. All right? Y'all are a little slow, all right? Am I helping? John chapter 20, verse 24. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wound in his hands, put my finger into them, and place my hand to the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Notice what Jesus says, don't be what? He said what? Don't be what? Faithless. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Now let me ask you a question. When Thomas was with the disciples, and he said to the disciples, and the disciples said to Thomas, he was one of them, the Bible says that Jesus appeared to them. Thomas didn't happen to be there that moment at that moment. And then later Thomas comes in and the disciples said to Thomas, We have seen the Lord. Question, did they tell Thomas the truth? Yes. Did he believe it? No. And Jesus calls him faithless. It does no good to sit here and just hear. Well, I go to church. Well, I stand in my garage. It don't make me a car. I go to church. It doesn't do any good here to sit here and listen to that dynamic minister pontificate, wax eloquent. It does if I don't accept what I'm hearing as true. Thomas heard the truth, but he didn't believe it is true. So if I, if me or somebody or anybody teaches, preaches the word, and you sit there the whole time thinking, 
well, that can't be right. I remember so-and-so, and that can't be right. That didn't happen for me. If we don't accept it as true, faith never comes. And that's what happens. we got a lot of Christians that have spent years in church, but this stuff's not working for them because they, somewhere along the line, stopped accepting it as truth. Everybody with me? And then there's one other thing. One other thing. First of all, you've got to hear it and accept what you've heard is true. And number two, you've got to release your faith. You've got to release it. You've got to release your faith. Let me prove it to you from Scripture. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. See, it's one thing to have it. It's one thing to sit there and say, boy, that's good, that's true, that's true, that's true, that's true, that's true. I'm going to do that. I'm going to act on that. I'm going to believe that. I'm going to, I'm going to start acting like that's true. But then you leave and never do it. Having the intentions of being a person of faith doesn't make you a person of faith. You've got to release your faith. See, faith comes by hearing and accepting what you've heard is true, but then you've got to release it. And most Christians don't release it. They sit in church, they get excited. Oh, that's exciting. They love Jesus, and they get excited, they get excited, they get excited, and they say, oh, I heard good, I heard good, I heard, boy, we got a great church, we got a great pastor, that's a good word, boy, he can teach, all this kind of stuff. And then they get out there on Tuesday afternoon, and all hell breaks loose. And they don't release their faith. Jesus is talking to them about getting offended. And he says in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, I don't have it up there, but he says, you need to understand offenses are going to come. Can't live life without people offending you. And then he says in verse 3, so watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. We forget about that. We go right to the forgive them part. Well, if they did you wrong, forgive them. Well, the first thing, first thing you're supposed to do is say, you idiot! You did me wrong, you idiot, and I'm going to forgive you. If your brother or sister sin against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. If they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Then notice the apostle said to the Lord, what did he say? Increase our faith. You know what they're saying? You know what they're saying? Lord, if if they did me wrong, if Wayne does me wrong, I'll forgive him. Oh, yeah, I can forgive him. If he does me wrong one time, I'm forgive The Lord said, no, 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 no. If he does you wrong every day, you forgive him every day. And the apostle said, oh, you've got to increase my faith. I don't have enough faith for that. I can forgive him one time. But if he keeps messing with me, I'm not going to continue forgiving. I've got to have more faith to do that. Any of you have ever had a, a report from the doctor and you think, I don't have enough faith for that? Any of you had a bill that was come due? I don't have enough faith for that. i got to have more faith. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And notice what Jesus responded. Verse 6. He replied, well, if you'll read Andrew Womack's latest book on meditating the Word of God, you can increase your faith. Is that what he said? No. Well, if you read Brother Hagin's book on the authority of the believer, you can increase your faith. No. If you'll read the New Testament and one proverb every day, 
you can increase your faith. Because faith comes by hearing. If you'll listen to Stephen Furtick's podcast every day, you'll increase your faith. Because faith comes by hearing. Is that what he said? No. This is what he said. They said, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. I got to have more. He said, you don't need more. He said, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and will obey you. You know what he's saying? You don't need more. You just need to learn to release what you got. Now listen to me. If you've got Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've got faith. You had enough faith to move you from hell to heaven. You had enough faith in operation to move you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear Son. You were translated in a moment's time by the faith that you really didn't work on. It just came to you suddenly when you heard the good news and you acted on it. And that little bit of faith that you had at that moment changed your life for an eternity. So if you had enough faith to change your life for an eternity, to move you from darkness to light, broken to wholeness, to move you from Satan to saint... How in the world do you not think you have enough faith to get you over that mountain that's in front of your life right now? You've got enough, you've heard enough, you know enough. What you and I must continually do is just release it. Take that problem that's standing in front of us. Find us a promise in God's Word that affects that problem that promises us to overcome that problem, and every day speak God's promise of God's Word to that problem. If you would say to the mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea. Now, it won't leave the first day, but if you keep chipping away at it, it overcome. When I was in my house and wouldn't leave, and Satan would tell me, You're going to end up in a mental institution. You might as well go on and end your life. You're going, they're going to come get you in a straitjacket. You'll be waving by to your wife and your, little, and your little boy. Your life's over. Just go on and commit suicide. Go on, just go on and end your life. Your family would be better off without you. When he would tell me that stuff, tears would stream down my face. And just I'd, out of just my sheer will, I would speak out of my mouth, God's not giving me a spirit of fear. But power, love, and sound mind. I have a sound mind. And when I would speak that, I have a sound mind. It would seem like such a small, lifeless, powerless little saying compared to all this hell that was bombarding my mind. But as I continued to speak, as I continued to speak, as I continued to speak in spite of what I thought, in spite of what I felt, in spite of what I heard, as I continued to speak... And I started putting my faith to it. Putting my faith. Releasing my faith. It was though just like a grain of mustard seed. But it caused the mountain to move. And you can do it. You got enough of it. You don't need to go read a bunch of books. Nothing wrong with reading books. If you want to read, read. Hallelujah. 
But you've got enough faith right now if you'll just release it. How do you release it? By your words and your actions. By your words and your actions. Your words and your actions. Words and your actions. Peter and them was fishing all night, didn't catch nothing. Jesus borrowed their boat for a few minutes, taught a sermon. And Jesus looked at them and said, Let your boats out in the water. Let your nets down. They said, We've toiled all night. Caught nothing. Empty. No biting. They're not biting. They've gone down deep. They're not biting. Jesus said, Put your nets on the other side. They said, They are not biting. We've fished all night. But then Peter said, We've fished all night and caught nothing. But at your word, we'll do it. And the Bible says when they put their nets down, they caught so many fish, when they started to bring them in, their boat started to sink. They released their faith. They released their faith. Now you release yours. You've heard enough. You know enough. you got enough. Just start speaking it and start acting like it's true. John Osteen told me one time, he said, Eddie, you know the key to faith? I said, what, Brother Osteen? He said, just act like what God says is true. Just act like what God said is true. Just act like what God said is true. Stand with me, would you?